Welcome to Political as Heck, a podcast about Utah politics and policy. I'm Corey Assel, joined by Utah State Senator Todd Weiler. What's up, Todd? How was your Thanksgiving? Great, Corey. What's up with you? Not too much. It's been, it has been great. We, uh, we had a lot of family time, went skiing a couple times. I'm, I'm tired, and uh, it's been great. That's wonderful. All right, let's get it started on a slow news week, but there's a couple things to talk about. So Utah stands on the cusp of adopting a new state flag. Special commission created to come up with a new flag, voted unanimously to approve a new design and uh, send it to the full Utah State Legislature for a vote. The commission received over 44,000 public comments on over 5,700 design options. The new flag incorporates the beehive. It's got snow-capped Wasatch Mountains. It's got a red stripe, which I understand symbolizes the Red Rock Canyons of Southern Utah. And it has the Native American Hope Star. So Representative Steve Handy, he sponsored the flag bill, but others had a big hand, including Senator Dan McKay. Todd, I know you've been involved. You've been a big proponent of, uh, of a new flag, at least in our conversations. So why don't you tell us why this is a good thing? Yeah, so let me let me start off, uh, Corey, by saying three or four years ago, I was adamantly against a new flag. And I said, I like the old flag. There's nothing wrong with an old flag. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, why do we want to waste our time or money with this? And I have come 180 degrees around. And I'll tell you a couple of my things. So first of all, I was invited to watch a couple of videos about flag design um, and the principles of flag design. There's people, there are people that actually are experts in these things. And I became convinced that our flag, I mean, for, for people that really study flag designs who are into flag designs, our flag is not a good flag. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So first of all, if you view our flag, the Utah flag, um, from from behind, you know, because it's flying, you can see it from all the angles, it, you know, Utah, it's it's hot too. It's Utah spelled backwards, you know. And so a good flag, <laughs> you don't you don't want a word on the flag because if you're seeing it from the reverse side. Now, if that was the only thing, but you know, our flag is the state seal. Um, so a couple a couple of things I want to just I know most people, I mean, I, my theory is this: nobody cared about the Utah flag three years ago. But once they found out people were talking about changing it, then they just doubled down. Oh, Utah flag. It's our pioneer heritage. We can never change it. It's the best thing since sliced bread. So it's not the best thing since sliced bread. But, uh, you know, so 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 number one, and, and this is my favorite question. How many people and be honest, Corey, how many people you grew up in Utah? How many people have you seen wearing a Utah flag T-shirt or ball cap? None that I know of. Nobody. I mean, nobody's done that because nobody nobody loved our flag until we, we said we're going to change it. Second question. This is a similar question, but I'm serious about this. How many people have you ever known that got a Utah flag tattoo? Nobody. Again, I'm going to have okay. to go with none that I know of. If you look at some really cool flags, I mean, Alaska has a cool flag. Colorado has a cool flag. Uh, Arizona has a cool flag. People in those states are proud of their flags. They're buying merchandise. They want to wear the flag. We don't have that in Utah. So that that tells me, you know, there's a red flag. Um, not a red, no pun intended. Um, second of all, anybody who's into flag design will tell you a flag should be simple. And they're saying if a grade school student should should be able to draw your flag from memory. Um, and our, you know, this new design, I really like the new design. We might be taxing the second graders on that new flag. But again, 
they would have a lot easier time drawing the new flag from memory than they would the old what what's called a bedsheet flag. Now, there's nothing wrong with our state seal, but your flag doesn't have to be your state seal. And quite frankly, about 20 about half the states out there still have state seal flags and you know there's nothing wrong with them but i i'm going to say there's nothing right about them either and i actually love the new state flag design i love that you know it kind of captures the mountain ranges it kind of captures the red rock it it has the star for the indians it has the beehive which is our you know industrious symbol i think it's wonderful um because i'm in the legislature i already have a t-shirt with the new flag um, I got a bumper sticker with a new flag. Somebody, one of my neighbors like, hey, can I have that bumper sticker? I I've been wearing my new flag uh, t-shirt to the gym on purpose and people stop me and ask me about it. A lot of people ask me where they can get a t-shirt. So I'm kind of excited about it. He, and here's the last thing I'll say. Corey, I don't know if we have the votes to pass it because there's so much wow. opposition. People are like emailing us saying, quit wasting your time and money. We're not really wasting a lot of money. And quite frankly, we're a part-time legislature. So it's not like, um, you know, it's not like we, we, we don't have time to do what, you know, pass our budget and stuff because we're doing the flag. But I do think, so Salt Lake City adopted a new flag with a Sago Lily. It's really cool. It's really, really cool. And I represent parts of Salt Lake City. So I interact with them, you know, as an elected official. And I think, you know, we're going to keep our old flag as our historic flag, but I really hope that the new flag design passes. The reason I think it won't, it may not pass is because we have about 20 new legislators coming in and they're, they're probably going to approach it from where I was three years ago. So it'll be interesting. Uh, the Senate's not really changing too much. So I think it'll pass the Senate. Um, I'm going to cross my fingers that I'll pass the House next next January with all the new legislators there. Mm, that's an interesting twist that I hadn't really thought of, that it may not pass. Yeah. So uh, I think, you know, those marketing aspects that you described, those make a lot of sense. I, I guess I have to admit that um, I don't really worry about those sorts of things. So I guess I'm pretty indifferent about uh, a new flag or old flag. I mean, hey, I, but, I guess I'm but, probably an outlier. But, but you're, you're a BYU football fan, right? Sure. Yeah. I mean, do you have BYU paraphernalia? Do you, do you have like baseball hats or T-shirts with the Y on? Yeah, it? and to be honest with you, I like that some of it's different. When I was at BYU, it was the it was the navy and beige. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. but and I'll, I'll tell you the new flag. This is the last thing I say, I promise. The new flag is like the new jazz uniforms. Everyone hates them until they. <laughs> love them. Everyone hates them until they love them. And I think if we do adopt the new flag, I think five years from now people are going to love it. But changes. Yeah. Change is hard for everyone. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'd say about the jazz uniforms too. Maybe I wouldn't go with uh, neon white or neon yellow, but you know, I don't really care that much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't either. But I liked it better when they were winning. Now they've, now they've started losing a little bit. So, yeah, no kidding. All right. So many of us have wondered, and you and I have talked about this on the podcast even. Why are gasoline prices, why have they stay, stayed stubbornly higher in Utah than the national average? And there were even times this summer when gas cost something like 50 cents more per gallon than the national average. You know, I go to D.C. and Virginia pretty regularly. It was che cheaper there, which is like, how could that even be? Corey, I was in Miami last week and it was 50 cents a gallon cheaper in Miami. So that's crazy. And so what we had here, I think is a good thing. Governor Cox, he took that question. And he commissioned the Utah State Office of Energy Development and the Utah Department of Natural Resources, asked them to study that question, find out the answer. And uh, these agencies recent, recently issued a, a report, which I thought was very interesting and very informative. So 
what they found was West Coast demand for Utah refined gasoline products has increased because of what they call diminishing supply in the West due to refinery closures uh, and biofuel conversion. So about 10% of refining capacity has been shut down in California and other West Coast states and, uh, and some in the Mountain West even. So the average, they call this refinery utilization. So that means how much capacity does a refinery have and how much of that capacity are they using? And in Utah, that utilization is about 95%, which is basically the maximum a refinery can consistently maintain because they, all, they always have uh, maintenance and upkeep and so, sort of thing. So Utah has two pipelines that export refined uh, petroleum products, gasoline, one that goes to Vegas, one that goes to Spokane, Washington. And according to the report, you know, refined products typically flow out of places with lower gasoline prices and into places with higher gasoline prices. So surprise, surprise, in the case of Utah's refined gasoline, it all goes to the West Coast where prices are higher. So again, the utilization at Utah's refineries has increased by 29% over the past 10 years. The West Coast area that Utah's refineries are serving, well, they've dropped by 10% over the same period, which decreases the overall supply. And the report calls out the culprit. It states very plainly, says national rhetoric and government involvement around decreasing the use of fossil fuels have placed the petroleum industry in a position where it encouraged it is encouraged to remove supply from the market. So in other words, government policy led by the Biden administration and progressive governors like Gavin Newsom in California and the liberal legislatures in Washington and Oregon, these left-wing political leaders, they've vilified American energy production. They've made it made operations difficult and in many states in many cases, like un completely untenable. According to the report, the amount of supply that is removed from the market is outpacing uh, the, the removal of demand. So it creates an artificial shortage. And Utah specifically seems to be supporting the demand, resulting in market price uh, for refined product that often trends higher than the national average. So what we're saying is Utah refiners, well, they're gonna benefit a little bit from higher prices for the product, but for Utah drivers, the prices are higher because we're basically paying a premium for California and Oregon and Washington to wage their war on American energy. So really interesting stuff. Really thankful to the governor for looking into this and shedding a, a, a huge amount of light here. Todd, what do you think this should tell us about the good and bad of, uh, of energy? What's, what makes good and bad energy policy? Well, first of all, I'll say it, it sounds spot on. And, you know, Biden has said in the debates before he was elected, and he said as recently as the last month when, he, when Joe Manchin reacted, that we need to shut down all of the, you know, we need to shut down, you know, basically fossil fuels. And so, Corey, I'm going to ask you and all of our listeners, if you had a great uncle that died that you didn't even know about and, and you inherited a million dollars, and you were looking for a place to invest it to get, you know, a decent return on your investment, would you invest it in expanding refinery capacity? Would you put a million dollars to expand refinery capacity when the president of the United States and the governor of California and AOC and everyone else is saying we should, you know, stop using fossil fuels and ban all these cars? And that's the problem is nobody wants to invest their capital in expanding refinery capacity because they don't know what the future holds. We, we keep on reading that, you know, by 2035, you're going to have to, you know, only new cars will be electric cars or whatever. And that's, you know, that's not that far away in terms of if you're looking at investment with an ROI over the next 20 years. And so that's the problem. The other thing I want to say is, 
even when our gas prices were 50 cents a gallon higher, over $4 a gallon last summer, I was looking around and, you know, like there were eight states all in the West now, including Alaska and Hawaii. And I know that's a little bit different, but there were eight states in the West with higher gas prices than Utah. So as bad as we had it, and we had it pretty bad. I'm, you know, I'm in the, it's not like I get to buy my gas cheaper because I'm an elected official. I'm, I'm going to Costco like everybody else because either that or Smith's marketplace, because I can save a little bit there with, you know, with, with the fuel credit points or whatever, but um, you know, as bad as it was here, it's worse in California and Nevada and Idaho and, you know, Oregon and Washington. And um, I don't remember all the other ones. I think Montana might've been lower, but um, uh, anyway, it is a Western phenomenon. And, um, and I think the Democrats are partially responsible, but I, I think it's also very complex. So. I think it's very enlightening this, this report. And I'm thankful to the governor for putting it together because over the last, you know, especially over the summer, there were so many folks, especially in, in the left-wing uh, Utah Twitter space, criticizing the governor, demanding answers. Why is it so much more expensive? Governor Cox, you, you need to an answer for this. Well, now we have some answers and they're scientifically analyzed. I mean, basically it's the war on American energy. It's counterproductive and it solves nothing. And the way that the, the Biden administration, the way that they want to solve this problem is to beg and plead with murderous dictators in Venezuela and Saudi Arabia, asking them to bail us out. I mean, it's just so obvious that there's a better way. It's very frustrating because American energy uh, is, is developed with American jobs and Utah jobs, right? And uh, we're not sending billions of dollars overseas to fund, uh, you know, our enemies. And so anyway, the last word on this, again, I want to applaud Governor Cox for asking a tough question, seeking scientific, truthful answers. And like many of us, he wasn't sure why prices were higher in Utah and he was frustrated like we have been. And now we have our answers. And I hope uh, some of his critics, especially those progressive critics in Utah, will get on board with some common sense solutions to build, build up, you know, rather than demonize American energy. Because here in Utah, like, I, I don't, look, I don't blame our refiners for selling and, uh, and making money, but I do blame these other states for making it so difficult for, for refiners to operate that they just shut down and they'd rather go into a new, a new business. After three weeks, three weeks, <laughs> we finally have some close to, but not final, but close to final vote tabulations. And uh, let's just take stock, take inventory of, uh, you know, our projections. So with 95 plus percent in, it seems like the final here is uh, Mike Lee has 53.15% of the vote. Uh, Evan McMullen has 42.74%. So that's about 10 and a half points, give or take. And so uh, you said nine and I said 13. Um, I said, you know, I, I put the, uh, the over under at 10. So basically right there, but you were closer at nine. Well, plus uh, with the pri with prices right rules, if you go over, you're eliminated. So, so I guess I was. I mean, in that case, you should have just said one percent. Yeah, you would have beat me for sure. Um, but still, ten and a half points. I think. Uh, I think a couple of takeaways for that, not to repeat ourselves, but it's still a blowout win, right? So it was still wasn't close. It's a landslide. It's 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 a ten point plus victory. Hundred and twelve thousand more people voted for Mike Lee than Evan McMullen. I mean, if uh, if 50,000 Mike Lee supporters changed their vote to Evan McMullen on the last week, Mike Lee still would have won. I mean, that that's amazing. Yeah. 
So it is a blowout win. But, you know, if you're the McMullen crowd, or which is essentially Democrats in Utah, and you're looking for something to hang your hat on, well, 42% is a lot better than, uh, you know, the low 30s. So they picked up some, some obviously uh, disenchanted Republicans. And, uh, you know, I guess there's a moral victory there in the sense that it was a blowout, but it wasn't a 30-point blowout because I think the closest among the, the four House office, uh, house districts was Chris Stewart, and he won by 25 or something like that, and the others won by over 30. So I guess there's a moral victory there. Well, and let me say, I, I had said about a month ago, if Evan McMullen didn't at least get over 40%, this was an unmitigated disaster for the Democrats. He got 42.74%, so he he breached the 40%. But I, I want to remind listeners, we would have expected a, a Kale Weston-type Democrat to probably get around 33%, you know, maybe with Mike Lee's quote-unquote unpopularity in some circles, maybe he would have gotten 40, 35%. So the interesting thing to me is to see all of these you know, Democrats try to justify that this was somehow a successful experiment because instead of losing by 20% or more, they lost by 10%. It's like, you still lost. And and I'll repeat what I said a few weeks ago. Zendel in New York, you know, he came closer than any other Republicans come, you know, to winning governorship in a couple of decades. But he got got four congressmen elected, you know. So uh, Evan McMullen came closer than Misty Snow did. But he got, you know, two or three legislators unelected. So I just don't see how this was successful for the Democrats. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of those. So right now, it looks like uh, Quinn Cotter is leading Democrat Representative Elizabeth Waite by 127 votes. And then uh, and I think that's um, Magna West Valley and Anthony Lube leads Democrat uh, Representative Claire Collard by 67 votes. So do you, we should, I know I should know the answer to this, but I don't. Are, are we going to a recount with that or what are we waiting for from final? Um, you know, the, there may be a recount in the Lube race, but I mean, with the 67 vote, that may be, that you have to be within like one quarter of 1%. And so that may qualify, but you know, if it was within 12 votes or nine votes, I'd say a recount may make a difference, but I, I expect the recount's going to come within two or three votes of the same count we do have this automatic recount provision if it's if it's 0.25 percent um so that one might might be there it might not i haven't done the math um and i and i just need to say Corey, and people that aren't in the legislature don't understand this but i've worked with elizabeth way i've worked with claire collard i they're friends i i like working with them even though they're democrats and even though you know i know anthony LeBay, i don't know quinn cotter you know it's kind of hard to see someone lose because neither of them did anything wrong now do we agree on everything? No. Do we agree on a lot of things? Yeah, because a lot of what we do at the legislature is just, you know, is just filling potholes, you know, type of stuff and and, and stuff. So, you know, I'm going to I'm going to miss um, I'm going to miss, you know, working with those two. I'm also excited to see the Republicans because I am a team player. I'm excited to see the Republicans grow the majority. Um, we, we actually are picking up three seats because Suzanne Harrison's seat was combined with Jeff Stinquist. So that's why that's one of the reasons why she chose to run for Salt Lake County Council. And then a new district was created in Eagle Mountain, which was also won by a Republican. But there was no Democrat that lost that one other than, you know, Suzanne Harrison could have run against Jeff Stinquist, but she chose not to. Now, before, you know, our friends, listeners say, oh, you know, this is I just want everybody to know all three of the redistricting proposed maps combined Harrison and 
Stenquist as well, because there was so much growth in the Eagle Mountain, Saratoga Springs. It just justified having a new district there. And 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 that's why we do these censuses every 10 years, so we can adjust those boundaries. So when the legislature starts in January of 2023, um, in just over, you know, two, just less than two months, we're going to have three more Republicans in the House than we did in January of 2022 or January of 2021. Um, and the Senate's going to stay the same. It's uh, 24 Democrats, I'm sorry, six Democrats and 23 Republicans. And congratulations to that new Republican out of Eagle Mountain, my friend, uh, Stephanie Grishius. Yeah, she's, she's great. Be fantastic. Yep. But she, really she's not replacing anybody, but she's kind of replacing Suzanne Harrison. Yeah. So. All right. And then uh, just to just to tie a bow on it, Trevor Lee did win uh, 48 to 35 against uh, Representative Handy. So I guess this flag project will be his last. Well, yeah, it probably will be. And, you know, two things about this. Steve Handy would have easily won a primary, in my opinion. Had he collected signatures and kind of bought that insurance, that convention insurance, um, nobody really understands why he, you know, he didn't do that other than, you know, he was trying to save some money. And, you know, I hope Trevor Lee, you know, he's he's coming under a lot of criticism. I I hope that he'll prove his critics wrong. Um, I have I have my doubts based on some, you know, some of the tweets that I still see him out there sending. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens. I think that what will be really interesting to watch now for 2024 is how many Republicans line up to run against uh, Trevor Lee in two years when he's up mm. for election. I don't think Steve Handy will be one of them, but I know several other Republicans who have said that they're thinking about running against him, mm. you know, interesting. take him out in a convention or a primary. All right. Well, we'll see how Trevor Lee, um, how he engages with uh, inside the legislature. So uh, real quick, let's look back on the national. So right now the the House is 220 Republicans to 213 Democrats. There's two outstanding races. Republicans lead in both and uh, should win both. One's in California and the other one's the uh, Lauren Boebert uh, in Colorado seat. Uh, Lauren Boebert, by the way, she's an, uh, another example of a Trump candidate that underperformed. I mean, she should have skated to an easy victory there. But in any case, um, this is so it'd be 222 to 213, which is the exact majority ratio that the Democrats currently hold. Uh, it's disappointing, but still a major victory and that it will put an end to these, you know, abominable mega trillion dollar wasteful spending bills. So Republicans officially do have the House and it looks like their margin is going to be about nine. So that's how many seats they picked up. Yeah, not great, not terrible. And let, let me just say this, Georgia runoff, a lot of people are like, oh, it doesn't matter because uh, we can't get control of the Senate. It sure does matter because it kind of depends on how powerful Joe Manchin or Kristen Sinema are in the next two years because they, you know, they are the swing votes. Um, I, I have this 1% hope that Joe Manchin might switch the Republican Party and give us the majority, but that would require Herschel Walker winning the runoff. If I had to bet right now, I'm going to guess he doesn't win the runoff, but I hope he does. I'm not trying to be a negative uh, person, yeah. but even though even when he had Brian Kemp, there kind of pulling the Republicans to the polls. You know, there's about five percent that weren't voting for him. So I'm I'm afraid, you know, I'm afraid that we'll see um, we'll we'll see Raphael uh, Warnock win again. But but again, I hope I hope to be wrong there. Yeah, I agree. I'm not going to make a, a prediction here, but um, I will agree that. Uh... I'm worried about Herschel Walker in that one. And so that would, assuming uh, 
Warnock wins, then that would give Democrats an extra vote to really nullify anything that Joe Manchin might want to do. So yeah. at that point, he'd really need to team up with Cinema. Yeah. Otherwise, he's going to go from the most powerful senator in decades to, you know, basically irrelevant and and in cycle. And he's already got uh, one major uh, challenger on the Republican side and uh, a, a current sitting congressman and, and probably the sitting governor is going to run against him, too. So he's going to have a tough race in a in a state that uh, the Trump won well, you know, over 60 percent. And let's be honest, Herschel Walker, uh, great football player, not the not the best candidate out there. Again, this is one of those candidate quality issues. I, I hope he wins. If he wins, I hope he'll be a, a, a good senator, if not a great senator. But um, we'll have to we'll have to see what happens. But, yeah, it will be quite ironic when you and I and everybody else was expecting us to pick up seats in the Senate if we end up losing net one, because our best case scenario right now is just to stay equal. Um, that requires a win in in the Georgia runoff. Yep, very disappointing. All right, to end it today, I forgot to, to mention this last week. People of Lehigh have had an amazing weekend last weekend. Both uh, Sky Ridge High School and Lehigh High School won the state championship. Sky Ridge for 6A, Lehigh for 5A. Two very dominant football programs. And and uh, for our kids, we were first when we first moved here, we were in the Lehigh School District, and then they we got redistricted into Sky Ridge. So we love them both. Anyway, it's really exciting time for the city of Lehigh and uh, and for those schools. And there's a lot of college commitments and uh, several Division One college football commitments out of those schools. So that is exciting. And you just reminded me we should mention that that push in Orem to create a new school district for the city of Orem failed. Um, it yeah. Failed predominantly. The uh, the initiative to give the legislature more budgeting powers for uh, special sessions that they call failed pretty incredibly bad. <laughs> it did not pass. It wasn't even close to passing. And the last thing I want to say, Corey, is a little shout out. We got uh, Democratic um, minority leadership, new leadership in the House and the Senate, the Utah legislature. So congratulations to Luz Escamilla and her all-female leadership team in the Senate. And congratulations to Angela Romero and her all-female uh, leadership team and the minority team in the House. And uh, first time in the state we've had, um, you know, we've had all-female leadership in either body that's of course this is for the democrats and minority party but it is kind of cool these are all these are eight great women that i know and well and i work with and i i like that i like all of them um and we you know both of the minority leaders are hispanic females which is um you know kind of a historic first for utah yeah good for them we'll have to have them on uh or at least one of them on to uh, make the case yeah, absolutely all right that's it thanks, thanks a lot Todd. see you next time see you next time